0: to five Eight Welcome, welcome everyone to floor forty-five of Corporate Courtney, and I am your host. Courtney Johnson. This week, I wanted to build upon some of the conversation that I had on floor 44 around the negative impacts of thinking of yourself as a family when you're in a corporation and how, you know, these institutions weren't built to be a family. In fact, they weren't built to support most black people, let alone black women in the first place. And then something happened at work. So if you guys will follow me, I think that this could go crazy and all around because my thoughts are swirling, but also could be a really great tie in. And when I was first kind of planning out the podcast and what I would talk about in some of these places, I had a friend mention um, a topic that she kind of thought that I would be good at doing, and I brushed it to the side because I really didn't want to to be that vulnerable with a bunch of strangers and I also at the moment couldn't figure out if it really had anything to do with being in corporate America or if it was just another sob story of my life so I definitely kicked the can on this one but this incident at work makes me feel like at least I can share it and hopefully it's not too out of the box for some of our listeners but if it is If nothing else, just take away from it that these are experiences that some people um, have to deal with. But if you've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, I started a new job recently or a new role within the same company. But, you know, different partners, different department, different people. So I've been on a number of large meetings and because I've also had surgery, I've been having to do a lot of my work from bed. So I haven't really been on video camera for some of these meetings. But now that I am feeling a little better and I'm feeling a little stronger, I've been trying to do meet and greets, um, which is my only way of networking. It's not like I can grab somebody a cup of coffee to get to know them and network and try to learn the space and the players. So I've been scheduling like 15 minute you know, windows of time on camera with some of the people in our department just to be able to say hi, face the name, get to know them. But this week I met, I scheduled some time with one of the coworkers and when I hopped onto the meeting and I turned my camera on, another black woman who I was meeting with was low and behold surprise that I was a black woman. And she made the comment that, you know, she'd heard my voice on other meetings and could have sworn I was just a peppy little blonde girl. So she was quite pleasantly surprised to see that I was a black woman. And in that, I kind of in the conversation, I kind of said, oh, that happens to me all the time. Um, it's really funny. But after the meeting and it went pl- really fine, like, you know. It was a perfectly fine meet and greet. But after that meeting, I had to think to myself, how often has that happened to me in my life? And and what does that set the tone for or actually explain about me, right? Are there these preconceived notions of me without seeing me because of the way I sound and the way I talk? So for background, my mother is an English teacher. Um, or was an English teacher. She's an administrator now. But I grew up in a household where standard American English was pushed and it was pushed hard. In fact, it was more so about breaking any Southern uh, draws out of my vocabulary as opposed to anything white versus black. But, you know, I was constantly being told, Don't say yeah, say yes. And it's not down, it's down. And for a while as a little girl, I would get these compliments from people like, oh, she's so articulate. And, you know, she really explains herself well. Or I couldn't tell that you all were from Tennessee and things of that nature. And the fact that my name is Courtney, Courtney Johnson. When my mother was picking out names, she had in mind that she wanted to be able to slide my resume across a table and no one be able to tell whether I was male or female or black or white. At least it would get me in the door. And I used to think that that was so smart. And for those of you who are like, what, Courtney? Courtney is typically a a male and female name in, I guess, past generations. I think there's a lot more female Courtney's, but there are definitely male Courtney's and I have a little sister and her name is Morgan and you've got male and female Morgans. So that thought process was how my mother tried to develop us. I never saw it as anti-black, but as I continue through life, I'm constantly being beget with this idea that I'm always acting white or I'm not black. And I don't think it helped that I was raised in a very white, predominantly white, suburban town in Tennessee. So my schools were predominantly white. My extracurriculars were predominantly white. And so regardless of how I spoke or what I looked like, I was always othered from as long as I could remember. And my mother was hell-bent on making sure that I was cultured getting all of the experiences in life that she didn't get to have um, growing up in a poor, poor area herself. So I did tap and ballet and gymnastics and basketball and soccer and baseball. And a lot of those things and those activities were surrounded by other white people. And when you're really little, you don't really understand it or think about it. You can just see that, You were different from the other girls. But I also was in this private kindergarten where they were teaching us French and Spanish. And I was counting to 10 in three languages. And so when that situation was over and I was put into public school, I found myself super bored. (laughs) And... As it's told, I was causing a little bit of chaos as I was really bored in some of those things. So I was in kindergarten class and was throwing sand and talking at inappropriate times and correcting teachers like, that's not pink, that's fuchsia. And then having to move my bear because I'm bad. And so my mother had conversation with the principal and they tested me to see if I was ready to go to the next grade. And apparently there is like a final exam for kindergartners, which is insane to me to think about as an adult, but like I score like a 97. So I was definitely moving to the first grade and the principal told my mother that I would never be at the top of my class again if she moved me. Two weeks into that first grade class and I was in the top reading group. So my mother has always shared that story and has always been super proud of it. But the things that I remember after moving to the first grade was that I was born in 93, not 92. So I was a baby and being picked on. But also I was one of one or one of two as a black kid in those classes as well. And so I was the baby and I was the black kid. And growing through that, you know, when you're really little, you try not to think about it too much or feel too home type of way. But there was always been these comments, even from white kids, they would come back from spring break and they'd be like, well, I'm blacker than Courtney now. And I'd have to sit and either hold my tongue or laugh through it because I didn't want to make a scene or make any more attention on me for that situation. I just quite never understood how to handle it or what to say in those situations, because I didn't want to be further othered, right? And in that space, I became hyper competent. It wasn't going to be that I was a baby and that I was black and that I was stupid as well. So I tried to prepare for the unexpected, you know, expect the unexpected, predict the unpredictable, you know, I was never going to be caught slipping in a situation. In fact, the spotlight wasn't going to be on me unless I was cracking a joke and being the class clown of some sort, which I also think was probably a trauma response or some kind of protector um, for myself because if I was funny, I wasn't, I was something that was valued. And I still went to... You know, black churches, my parents had black friends. So I always lived in this dual world where I was surrounded by black people and I was surrounded by white people. And I just learned to deal with that duality for most of my adolescent life. But when I got to college, it was a world's difference. I ended up in a in a apartment slash dorm. Well, it was like a four piece dorm and the girl in my actual room was black. The girl in the other room was black. And then the girl in the other room was white. And they'd all come from the same school though. But to UT on paper, I was a black girl and I could go in this dorm with these other black girls and get a semblance of, um, home or, you know, a feeling that I would be used to. And it was quite the opposite. Those black girls hated me off jump. From the moment I spoke, introduced my parents, tried to get, you know, my parents bought them lunch. I, we were just so excited for me to be in college and I was going to be with these black girls. And this was the experience I always wanted and lived for. And I couldn't make a connection. And when I finally understood that, you know, I wasn't probably getting anywhere with these girls, when I tried to make friends with other black kids once I got to college and the little spaces that they create for you in a predominantly white school, they had already spread the word that I was this bougie, preppy black girl from Knoxville that, you know, was acting white and thought I was better than everyone, which was far from the truth because all I wanted was to dive in to have more black friends and to get that experience that, you know, you see in TV shows that you grow up watching, you know, I thought I was going to get a different world, you know, this was my love and basketball moment. So to not have that was really a hard slap in the face. And so I retreated to what I knew. I hung out with kids I knew from high school and rarely ran into problems, but it wasn't like I got the experience that I was dying to have. To share clothes, because my black body did not fit those skinny white girl bodies. Or to go to a party and hear a new song drop. It like a really you know hip-hop cut and I know all the words and no one can you know get down with me I'm having to learn wagon wheel and friends in low places and I would try to insert myself into like clubs and activities where there were more predominantly black people but I faced a lot of the same thing where there's this preconception that I thought I was better than everyone because of how articulate I was and I would go to these you know panels in town halls where black kids were talking about how this is the first time they've had to be around white people and they were adjusting and how they didn't feel like they could fit in and how they felt questioned about their intelligence or their reasoning for being there, that they were an affirmative action piece. And I felt really bad about that. But I also was struggling with my own black experience at a predominantly white school where now I'm around more black people in my classes than I ever have been, and I can't connect. And when I was talking to advisors or these teachers or professors or leaders who were leading these things and I would share my experience, they would always kind of minimize it. Like, yeah, honey, I get what you're saying, but a lot of these other kids are going through something way worse. So I wasn't getting the support there either. And it took me a while to kind of find my niche. I slowly started to find... Girls who didn't mind that I talked like this, or girls who didn't mind where I came from, and I never brought my friends back home um, for the first two years of college. And it was really sad and scary for me because I didn't want anyone to think that I really was perpetuating this idea that I was acting wider, that I thought I was better than everyone. And I make friends and I get in clubs and because I was very persistent about my want and need to have myself surrounded by, you know, intelligent, beautiful black women as friends, I do find my friend groups and I bounce around and I get through and I get my got- my first job and I go off and I work and I never have to think about it. But for a lot of black women, and once I got older, I started to realize that part where I felt like I was being ignored what those other kids were saying about having to also feel like they didn't fit in and that they couldn't understand why everyone was, you know, looking at them or judging them or having white teachers, you know, they'd never had a bunch of white teachers. And so having to overcome that and I can see how hard of a struggle that is, but I can also see the parallels to how I had to do it, but at such a young age. And then if you come from, a HBCU and you came from black areas, getting to corporate America is the first time you're thrown into having to be with a ton of white people all the time and how dominating that culture can be. And so you're trying to figure out how you assimilate and how you go about that. And it's crazy because black women face all, all black women face all sorts of discrimination once they get into corporate America. And the coping mechanism that is generally done is to start shifting identities. And for for every person, that's a different reason behind it. You know, whether you're frozen or you're trying to be the model black citizen or you just have mixed eye, like, feelings about, you know, who should you be at work and is it authentic and is it not? And that's really hard to do after coming from a completely different world as well. And what I didn't have were the words at a young age to be able to say, you know, I wasn't trying to fit into white culture. I was trying to survive it. And I've had to try to survive it my whole life. And I did so with learning as I was going. But that's really hard to explain and express to other people when you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. You know, we start to have these conversations about code switching now and how there's a different voice when you're at home versus when you're in the office and, you know, you take your mask off and, you know, you can finally be yourself. But it's really hard for someone like me who's had to battle that for a very long time to really to really know who you are. Who is the real me? When am I, you know, wearing a mask? Because for the most part, my whole life, I've been a chameleon. It's what my dad calls me anyways. I can get into any group or setting and make myself fit in. And I'm really good at it now. I can be the sports girl. I can be the girly girl. I can be the fashion girl. I can be the smart girl. I can be the dumb girl. I can be the black girl. I can be the black white girl. But... When it's all said and done, when I'm at my most comfortable, I have no idea who I am. And it can be a one off one I could just be mimicking your behavior. And I thought when I got into corporate America, this would be one of my strengths. But the older I get, the harder it is for me to laugh when I get comments like, Oh, I'm surprised you were a black woman. I swore you were a blind woman based off those calls. Which is so hard because I'm fighting the same fights and the same discrimination and the same, you know, microaggressions as a black woman with white people still. So for what I would think would be my group, my, you know, someone who would understand and could see that I'm getting judged again, just like I did in third grade, and in college. And that makes doing my job for corporate America a lot harder in the first place. The work that I'm doing to mask myself and to avoid interpersonal rejection is also a double-edged sword because it also alienates me from the people I think that I would be more associated with. And I didn't realize, but there's a very large group of black women who feel the way I do. You know, our parents and our grandparents were taught to overcome whatever racial divide was going on. And post-civil rights era, people who did make it have always had this idea that they would have, give their children the best. And for a long time, the best meant white. Because it is the dominating culture. If you don't assimilate, you will be judged and punished for it. And that's really tough. That's all I've got for you guys this week. I hope to build upon it next week as well because I think that there is another aspect of it as far as how code switching comes into play in America. And how we deal with it and what that really means but for this week that's all I really got in me um so if you have questions or if you resonate with some of the things that I'm saying please reach out at the corporate courtney podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on twitter and instagram at underscore corporate court and until next time Courtney, it's, funny, it's funny. Who throws the best party? It's funny, it's funny.